What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer, and this week we have a longtime friend of mine. His name's Alex, and he runs a uh, company called Buckhorn Land Management and has a variety of implements to help improve ground. And he owned ground in Pike County in 2011 when he bought a piece at 21 years old. You get to hear how he bought his first piece as a young man and uh, what he is up to today and what he sees on different farms that he's working on and just a really good conversation for anyone that is looking to objectively look at buying their first farm and some things that they need to check and some uh, realizations that they need to come to as well based on what their expectations are so a really good conversation i hope you guys definitely enjoy it before we get into that though i have to tell you this week we are announcing one of the lucky winners of the exodus mmt arrows that we've been doing here so one of five so the exodus one has will be announced on tuesday and we're gonna be announcing one here right now so after putting everyone that has left a review since we announced the mmt into a spreadsheet the lucky winner is t rob 205 so if that is you send me a email at jhofer at exodusoutdoorgear.com and we'll get all your specs and get you a dozen arrows and if you're not one of the lucky winners there's still an opportunity to leave a written review so you can get in on this definitely a great opportunity we're super proud of the mmt and the feedback has been so strong up to this point and we have so many more exciting things coming very soon in regard to how that is interacted on our website so a lot of great stuff and also we have velvet fest it's up and rocking it's rolling and so every single order of cameras or arrows is going to get a scratch off card with a guaranteed winning prize so be sure to take advantage of that and then we're also going to be sending out a an additional campaign to save a little bit of money on the render but right now if you order two or more cameras you can save 20 percent off using the code velvet fest just exactly how it sounds no no spaces it's velvet fest and that is closing up here before long so be sure to take advantage of that and i think that is it for now so hope you guys enjoy this conversation have a wonderful week here we go alex how's it going good jake how are you i'm doing well this is this is fun we talk quite a bit throughout the year Uh, i've known you for quite some time and uh for for everyone here take a take a chance to introduce who you are and uh, really excited for today's conversation. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Jake. Uh, my name is Alex Mortensen, as Jake said, uh, owner of Buckhorn Land Management, uh, operator as well. So I guess I started, you know, my career back fresh out of school. I got into real estate. You know, that's where I met, met Jake. We used to sell properties. Shoot, what was that? 2010? Like, yeah, 16, what? I think is when I met you, 2016. Okay, okay. 16. But anyhow, long story short, I... Uh, Drew a lot of interest in the land market. Obviously, I bought a farm uh, down in Pike County and <laughs> had, had a few obstacles I ran into there. It was, wasn't an easy process, but we could talk about that a little further in the show. But uh-huh. ended up buying and uh, and had it for, I guess it would have been 10 years, 10 or 11 years. And uh, recently sold it. And that's when I started Buckhorn back in 2020. So, yeah. So what, what made you... Then you... How you got into real estate is kind of interesting, or how you met the former managing broker. It was like on a Craigslist ad, basically, right? It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I out of high school, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do, you know, and I, uh, I knew, you know, what we all love is is land, you know, and I I wanted to get into that. And of course, it's all rainbows and puppy dogs when you see it from the outside, you know. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm this, I'm gonna make all kinds of money, and yeah, well you being a real estate agent, you know, the case, you know, so, so I actually changed my course a little bit. I was in it for 
five or six years and and don't get me wrong it was good it was just uh just not 100 percent my interest you know yeah yeah it's it's tough there's a lot of people that got their license that i know here recently and i think it has been a good time to be an agent with how you know how everything has been and i've talked to other agents who have been through many more market cycles than me and they're like there's there's gonna be a change in the guard here with some of these new folks that came in that may or may not you know, go through a, a different type of market, but, but regardless, sure. it's, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting business. And I think it's uh, it's a lot of fun and it's when you get to tackle some of the fun obstacles along with the not so fun obstacles it all kind of balances out. But and right now your main gig is in the ag industry, correct? It is. Yep. Yep. So I do that. I do farming on the side or as the main business. And then I do uh, buckhorn land management, making land improvements to mainly recreational ground. Of course, we get some tillable, you know, whether it be washouts or tile or whatever the case might be, but a lot of it's recreational, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. But, yeah. We, yeah. I've, I've been on some of your job sites, man. It's been, uh, you, you come in, you get stuff done quick. I was just on a farm here this afternoon, uh, right before this. And, uh, I was like, man, if Alex was here for like a weekend, this place would look completely different. Like it would be completely different, whole new farm in just a weekend. And so it, I think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing about what you do now is you can literally transform a farm in one weekend a lot of times. Definitely, man. And then, you know, kind of what got me into it, back to the farm store, you know, when I first bought my farm, I I had another real estate agent that was down in, uh, like I said, it was Pike County, so it was Western Illinois area. And uh, this farm was, it was actually a 65 acre farm. and uh, at that point in time, I couldn't afford 65 acres. I was 21 years old. I couldn't afford it, you know? So the guy had it listed for two, three months, ended up splitting it up and doing a 40. And uh, the 40 had 18 acres of tillable on it. Drew my interest a lot more. It was a lot more in my price range. Long story short, made an offer on it. Uh, he countered and he was he was a stickler. He wasn't going down any. <laughs> you know, it was kind of one of them deals where yep. uh, he knew what he had and that, that is what it is. So Long story short, I ended up buying it, kind of figure out there was a lien on that farm. And uh, it took what was supposed to be a 30 month or 30 day closing into about a three month closing. So it was quite the ordeal, you know, but uh, long story short, I ended up with the farm, you know, and at 21, I didn't, I didn't know a lot. I hunted public ground almost a hundred percent up to that point, you know, so I, I didn't know a lot about food plots. I didn't know a lot about the improvements to be made. I just kind of I learned as I went, you know, and yeah. a lot, you know, shows like this and YouTube and whatever else, you know, that just like everybody else. But uh, I bought that farm and started making improvements. I had a lot of friends come out and help me, you know, and we we took what, you know, there's four or five acres that was his old overgrown cattle pasture. And uh, we went through and cut out all the locusts and it just grass thatch, you know, disc that up, burn everything off and just kind of started from scratch, you know, and I, I didn't even know what deer were on it at that point, you know, well, that first season, I had uh, I didn't really touch it much. First couple of weeks of October, and I took uh, two kids out youth season, and I think I forget the exact number, but it was over thirty deer we seen in two different wow. plots. You know, and they both killed in like forty five minutes. You know, and I was like, okay, I've got I've got some good deer. You know, and uh, from that point, I I started wanting to make improvements. And I started seeing the little improvements that made a big impact. You know, and one that sticks in my mind. It's a very very small improvement that you can simply do with a chainsaw, but I had this food plot that uh, the deer would follow the edge and that edge was about 45 yards from the, from the ground blind. And uh, I always wanted those deer to finish in and come that extra, you know, 10, 15 yards, be that 30 yards, you know? So I was like, man, the deer are here. I just got to get them to come closer to this. Cause I don't want to go out in the middle of the plot. Right. It kills all my access, everything else. So 
I want them to come closer to me. So I took a chainsaw and I cut the tree down. I just let it fall right into the plot. You know, I kid you not. It wasn't two weekends later. I was sitting down in that plot and every single deer walked right around that tip at 30 yards. You know, and I, from that point forward, I was like, I can make a difference. See, you know, and I, and I did, I started, I made watering holes, you know, we borrowed the neighbor's tree spade and made a good little, uh, cedar hedge all the way down one of the food plots so I could access it without ever being seen, put a redneck blind there, obviously, uh, a lot of food. I mean, that's really what I focused on, you know, is, is food plots. And I didn't have 40 acres, half of it being tillable. I didn't have a lot of like, you know, timber improvements I could have made. It was a lot of, you know, junk timber and there was just more or less wooded draws, you know? So yeah. most of my operation was on food and, uh, and it paid off well. So I did the same thing for 10 years, little improvements here and there, kind of like we talked about and then built a cabin down there. You know, we started staying down there I had a little family getaway and uh, definitely enjoyed it until about 10 years later. Still enjoyed it, but uh, I was out there bush hogging with a little 40 horse tractor, you know, and trying to keep the locusts under control and uh, got into these locust trees that were probably two, three inches in diameter or whatever. And I'm hitting them with that 40 horse tractor and I'm just doing more harm than good. I mean, I'm just destroying the machine. And uh, my neighbor actually to the south had just bought that house and it butted right to my south border. And he actually had almost three acres, two or three acres right there on the south border. And uh, he always said, he actually, his farm or his house was actually cut out of that farm. So there was a little chunk in the corner that was cut out. And he always said, well, how did you get that guy to split off that farm? You know, how did he get three acres and you get the 38 or whatever it was? <clears throat> and uh, come to figure out, it was the guy's son that actually lived in that house prior to him buying it. So he always wanted that, that 40 acre farm I had good guy, you know, and long story short, he said, well, if you, if you want me to, he said, I got a skid steer with brush cutter on it, you know, like come out here and take care of that for you. He's like, it's right on the edge of my property. Anyways, it, it helped the looks of my farm, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, just, just bring it out. You know, just let me know what I owe you and bring it out, you know? So he brings, he brings this equipment out and this is like January snow on the ground. And this thing is just an absolute monster. I mean, it is, it, seven foot wide. I mean, it's got, you guys watch some of my videos. Uh, it's called the Bradco ground shark on, on a new Holland skid steer. But mm -hmm. anyways, I hired him in to come in and, and what I thought I was doing fast, he was just multiplying, you know, it was like, it was unbelievable. He's driving through it. Like I wasn't even there, you know, and mm -hmm. he pulls up this tree. That's about, I don't know, eight or nine inches in diameter smacks it like just a quick da -da -da -da, and the whole tree comes down. I'm like, I need that. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking to myself the whole time, like, how do I, how do I get a piece of equipment like that? So I can not only improve my own farm, but improve everybody else's, you know, so long story short, I pondered on it and thought about it for a while. And I told him, I said, you know, if you're interested in my farm, I said, I'd be interested in that skid, you know, because the whole reason being was the farm was actually two hours from my house. I had two new kids, you know, one was a baby at the time and one on the way. So I had two kids and I wasn't able to utilize it quite as much as I used to be. So I wanted to find a farm that was a little closer to home anyhow. And I figured if nothing else, whether it worked or not, I could improve my own farm with that skid steer, you know? So long story short, we haggled back and forth, ended up working out a deal where I got a skid steer, a couple implements and whatever else. And uh, I took it, went to a friend's farm. He had a cattle pasture, you know, clean that up a little bit. And I got thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I could really help more than just me and my friends with this thing you know i was like maybe i'll maybe i'll start a business you know maybe i'll start doing this on side you know long story short i started doing it and posting a few videos here and there facebook whatever and it just 
it blew up. You know, yeah. I mean, every, everybody's just, you know, wanting improvements. You know, how can I, how, not just, I guess, doing the work, but also like pointers on how can I improve this spot? I need what to access. You should t- what you should take out and what you should leave. And Exactly. You know, and then like, you know, this whole, this whole side of my farm is all wasteland. How do I get, how do I get back here without kicking all the deer <laughs> out? You know, I need water over here. I need a food plot over here. You know, things like that. And, uh, and I really enjoy that stuff. Anyhow, that's my favorite part of owning the farm is, is making the improvements, you know, just like probably everybody on the show, you know, but yeah. But, uh, so long story short, I started uh, Buckhorn Land Management and uh, been doing that for, you know, I think I actually started the business side of it in 2020 and uh, still going strong today. So, yeah, it seems like every weekend you have a project going on just about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, it's overwhelming sometimes, but it's good. I mean, some, some projects are better than the others, you know, and, and uh, again, the recreational farms are they never let me down. I, I truly enjoy that. So, yeah, but. that is really cool. So when you bought, so you're 21 years old and you bought 40 acres in Pike County. That's a, uh, did you think you'd own ground that early in life at 21 years old? You know, I, I didn't, but, uh, I actually had a friend of mine at that point in time. He was a year or two older than I was. And he was just, he owned probably, I can't remember if he was on a second or third track by that point. And, uh, I always asked him, I said, man, I was like, how'd you do it? And, you know, you're 21 years old. You got to have 20% down on a $200,000 farm, wherever it's going to be. You know, I was like, how'd you do it? And he's like, man, he's like, once you get the first one out of the way, he's like, the rest just do the work. You know, he's like, once you get the assets behind you, the rest do the work. So I kept thinking to myself, well, how do I get that? How do I get that? You know? So I went and, uh, local bank, you know, a good friend of mine and uh banker, I started talking to him about it and I said, what, what's it going to take for me to get into this farm? You know, I was like, here's my budget. Here's what I want my payment to be. Here's how do I do it? You know? And he's like, well, you're going to have to have 20%. He said, obviously you can use the assets, 80% of your house value or whatever. You can tie that up in it. And then it's only going to leave you with like $11,000 down. You got to put down after I put my house on it, obviously, mm-hmm. but like $11,000, I can, I can own that farm for $11,000, you know, <laughs> I was like, or $11,000 down, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm buying it, you know, and the plan is that. So I ended up just buying it and uh, the payment was like, it was pretty cheap. I mean, it was like 9,000 or something like that a year, you know, nine or 9,500 or something like that a year, but then half of it was tillable, you know, so the, the tillable at that point in time was like $250 an acre or something like that. I think I got right around $5,000 a year. That. So really I was cheaper than a lease. It was cheaper than a deer lease, you know, yeah. and I was like, well, it was a good deal. So, yeah, I mean, I, I bought that farm and then I had full intentions of keeping it all my life, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and long story short, I started thinking, you know, if I buy a farm closer to home, there's, there's two kinds of farms I'm looking for. And one is the farm that I am going to keep forever. You know, the farm that I'm going to pass down generation, generation, but there's also farms that I keep in mind that are, that are strictly for investments, you know, and that's usually for me, I know some guys may not like it, but usually for me is like me buying an 80 and splitting it, you know, like, mm-hmm. can I have points of access? Can I improve this to where both 40 acre farms can be a good hunting track, you know, without one guy cutting you off and whatever else, you know, and that's, that's really my biggest, I guess, obstacles. I'm not just looking to split an 80 acre farm and say, Hey, you get this 40, you get this 40. I want to make them the best two forties I can make and then sell them to guys like you and I that can afford a 40, 80, you know? So that's kind of how I got started. And and that's really what I'm in the market for now. Obviously the last couple of years, it's been, you know, <laughs> so, there's, not, yeah. there's not a lot of deals out there right now, you know, but 
it, it's think- been it's been tough. I, I mean, we talk pretty often of uh, different things going on, and it has been tough to be in your position in terms of like looking for that eighty with uh, you know this a lot of buyers competition and not a ton of inventory. Um, do you have any regrets? Sell because I mean, obviously, no one knew that the market was going to go crazy in twenty one twenty two. But do you have any like, oh well, maybe I maybe I should have waited one more year, or two more years? Or are you just like that's the decision I made? I'm living with it. So. <laughs> obviously you're always going to have regrets. I mean, you take a good farm like that and, and sell. I mean, we killed a lot of good deer off of it. You know, we were, we were averaging, you know, at least 150 inch deer off of it a year, you know? So, I mean, that, that's really good for a 40 acre farm, at least in awesome. my opinion. Fantastic. So, so, I mean, it was a great farm. I'll always think, you know, what if you would have kept it kind of thing, you know, but on second hand, I was, I was stuck at the point where that was all I was ever going to have, you know, is, is with the one income from the ag side to the business. And then, you know, owning that 40 and two kids in daycare and everything else, that's, that's all I was going to be able to afford, you know? So I got to thinking to myself and how do you have more than that is you make, you make more money, <laughs> you know? So, so that's, you know, that's how I remind myself that it was the right move. You know, I I've made more money, even though the market has gone up significantly since I sold it, I still got a pretty good sale on it mm-hmm. and the market's gone up significantly, but I've made more money with my decision, kept it. Farm, you know, selling yeah. the farm a year. So I guess, you know, if you, if I was selling it and putting it in the bank, I'd have regrets every single day, you know, but, but selling more money so I can, I can better my future and, and have more land going forward. Then I, I don't regret it in that aspect. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good point. Cause yeah, you didn't, you didn't sell it just to sell it. You sold it cause you wanted to, you know, continue to get to that 80 in order to, you know, continue that uh, going on. So what, what does it look like now? So like you're, you're kind of in the market for an 80 right now. I mean, do you have a timeline right now? I'm asking because I'll keep my eyes peeled for you. <laughs> you know I want it now. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but but I mean, honestly, it's, you know, it, it'll it be within the next year. I mean, my goal is within the next year to have one. And uh, whether it be a 40 or an 80, you know, if it's the right 40 that I plan on keeping, I'll buy that. If it's an 80 that I can make some money on, then obviously, you know, that's kind of my goal going forward. So mm-hmm. I would say looking at the market today, I think, next summer will be pretty realistic you know so i mean with with my banking and uh and the market my opinion it's probably going to turn to the buyer side a little bit going the months you know after you know inflation reports and things like that i can i can only imagine interest rates go up and when that happens obviously land values are going to come down a little bit landowners are probably going to be mad for a while and not want to sell you know because they could have had seventy five hundred dollars an acre six months ago and whatever else, you know, so I think that's going to happen. And I think for the next six months, you're probably not going to see a lot of inventory, but my opinion is next summer, you will see more realistic pieces. Now, are you going to see $3,500 an acre again? You know, maybe, maybe not, swamp, you know, maybe swamp ground, maybe. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I talked yeah. to my wife because when I originally bought pipe, granted it was 2011, but it was 3,500 bucks, you know, and it's like, not just that, $3,500 back in 2011 is a lot different than $3,500 today. So even though land costs more, the dollar's worth less, you know? So it's like, it costs more, but then when you put put it into, you know, a ratio, it's really, it's it balances its way out. You know, I, I think you're going to see more of the $5,000 an acre, you know, rec ground, in my opinion, you know, depending on where you're at, of course, you go to Southern Illinois and parts of Western Illinois, you might get a little cheaper, but we're Central Illinois, Peoria County is where I'm located. So uh, I think you'll probably see that $5,000 rec round again in the next year. 
Yeah, I, I would definitely tend to agree with that. And I think to your point, there might not be a lot of transactions here in the next six months. I mean, my conversation with buyers have already changed drastically within the last, you know, couple of weeks, I would say. Uh, yesterday, they just, uh, like every, everyone's an economist now, which I find really funny because if, if someone, if you said, what is blah, blah, blah basis points two years ago, they're like, I have no clue. But all of a sudden, everyone's an economist and expert on uh, micro and macroeconomics. But to, to me, I think that this is just my opinion. I think a lot of the stuff's already kind of like priced in. And like when they announce the recession, the worst is already going to be over, hopefully, knock on wood. So like right now would be an interesting time if you had someone realistic that was scared of like, it's only going to get worse. That could be an interesting thing. But to your point, I don't think uh, it costs money to sit on the sidelines the last two years if you were not doing what you're doing. But now moving forward, it's not going to cost you near as much to be on the sideline because it's not going to, I don't think it's going to appreciate you know, what it, what it has in the last two years. That's just my two cents. Yep. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. But I could be dead wrong too. So, <laughs> so to, to take that for what it's worth, <laughs> just, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot listening to the show, you know, and, and I've kind of changed, I guess my focus on how to, how to buy those farms, you know, I mean, listening to some of the, you know, like the bankers and things like that, that you get on here, you know, I'm like, I definitely did it the hard way, you know, it was, you did. Man, there's so many, there's so many ways around it that I could have done, you know, and it's like, and that's why, you know, I'm glad to be on this show because I mean, that just some of the guys I've learned from on here, hats off. I mean, they, they're definitely informative and, and mm-hmm. you as well running the show. I mean, obviously you started the show for this exact reason, you know, it's just, yeah. just show that it's not as hard as, you know, it's not just the rich guys that own it, you know, I'm far yeah. from rich. Granted, I just had a 40, but I mean, like you said, 21 years old, if I can do it, anyway, anybody. Yeah. Which is so cool. So when you talked about how it got pushed, I think we, I think we want to talk about how hard it was to close on that because uh, maybe someone else has gone through a tough a tough tr- transaction or they may do a tough tough transaction. And I think it's good to know they're not the only one. So what? So you got it locked up. You got it under contract. Came to an agreement. What was the lien? Was it uh, like a an additional like it a, was a mortgage on it, or was there something else on it? No, so it was actually a chemical application loan. So it was farmed, obviously, by the guy who owned it. And uh, he had a chemical company come in and spray it for him, and he never paid his bill. So they put a lien on the farm until they got paid 500 bucks or something like that. Well, then the guy refused to pay the $5,500. And I don't know the whole backstory. Surely there was a reason for it, whether they killed something or whatever it was. I don't know. But he, he refused to pay the $5,500. So the deal wasn't going through. Well, the realtor actually, luckily was was building a house at that point in time and the guy that owned the farm was a construction guy so long story short he said look i will pay the fifty five hundred dollars to get this deal closed if you pour the foundation for my basement on my new house i'm like whatever it takes to make it work i don't like but it's not going to be a fast thing he's like this is going to take months you know whatever the guy was cool enough. He let me go in there and make improvements while we were waiting for closing and all that stuff, you know, because heck my end was, it was done, you know, the bank's just waiting on the go ahead, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was an obstacle, but on second hand, it, you know, it worked out. So that's hilarious that yeah. you net, ne- you just never know. That's why, that's why you got to do a title search because stuff like oh, that come up. You have your dreams crushed though. I mean, you're 21 years old, you get all excited. All you oh yeah. About- buying a farm and they're like yeah by the way you can't buy it you know it's like okay let's let's figure something out here you know yeah and that's that's that was a sizable lean on that too i mean like knowing the amount of cash you had to come up with i mean like i don't have that like like yeah sorry pal like deal's dead yeah that's kind of where it was and i 
I was crazy. You know, and I sat in an auction. It was probably four or five months before that, you know, and we've all got the gut feeling of which farm you want. And it was going to be an investment farm. It was actually closer to my house, but the way it laid, it was going to be really hard to hunt. You know, I mean, just about every wind was going to blow it right down this Creek line, which where the deer came from, you know, and it just wasn't super interesting for me, but I sat through that auction and, uh, I told the friend of mine that I was talking about that he's got several tracks now, but at that point in time, he had two or three tracks. And I told him, I said, if it goes under $3,000 an acre, I'm going to buy it just because it's good. And, uh, sat through that auction that that piece sold for 2,800 an acre old feet. And I sat there and I was like, what did you just do? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then I start watching the market. And just like you said, you know, you keep expecting things to happen. You keep expecting prices to change. You keep whatever. Well then long story short, I ended up paying $3,500 an acre and, I don't regret it, but it's like hindsight. Yeah. You're not going to beat the market. (laughs) That's kind of my point is, is uh, just find the farm you want. And, uh, and the biggest thing is, is don't wait for the perfect farm because there, there is never a perfect farm. Just have the vision or know somebody who's got the vision on making it the perfect farm. You know, if, if it doesn't have a food plot in the right area that you want to make, you're literally a weekend away from having the food plot where you want it, you know, and same with access, you know, if, you know, say you're overgrown with honeysuckle or something along them lines, you just want a road to get to the back ridge or whatever, you know, you're literally a weekend away from having that, you know, so, so turn it away from a deal just strictly because one thing or the other, just make sure that it can't be improved, you know, make sure that you can't, like, if the access is from the north, obviously I can't, I can't take it, from, but yeah. second hand, you know, it, a dozer and a skid steer in a weekend can, you know, you want a pond, give it a week you know it's like it's not that big of a deal you know so that's kind of where we come in you know is is if you have something like that check out the videos give us a call whatever and we'll talk through it but most of it is just it's literally it'll surprise you what it's going to cost you know i mean for for the amount that you paid for that land and maybe you saved three four five hundred bucks an acre because you bought a farm that wasn't perfect and then you bought an 80 acre farm now the amount that you're going to pay even if it's not me, you know, if you're going to pay an uh, excavator or whatever it might be to come in, I mean, you're talking an acre's worth of value usually, you know, to come in and do what you walked away from that deal for, you know? So yeah, it's, it, it definitely is. And culverts, things like that, you know, you got Creek crossings, you can't get across. I mean, culverts go a long way, you know, and obviously it, it'll change the layout of the whole farm, you know? So just having that vision, get with a good real estate agent, you know, obviously, if you're in Jake. Illinois, holler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, I mean, you get with a good real estate agent, somebody that actually knows deer and turkey and, and hunting in general, you know, and and those guys can almost tell you what that farm looks like prior to you even stepping foot on it, you know. So uh that I love doing that. I love doing that before I walk a farm. Like I'll go look at the satellite imagery and then I'll kind of relate it to any other farm I've been to. And it's like, I bet you these are gonna be the three predominant trees. I bet you oh, this yeah. is what it's good. And it's like you go in there and it's like this is almost identical to what I pictured. And so that's something I just love to do because it's, it's fun. Cause the more areas you walk and different parts, because where we're at is there's a, still quite a bit of different, uh, like just habitat terrains and everything else. And just, uh, it's just so much fun to go like, all right, this is what I think it's going to look like going there. Boom. And so that's fun. So to the point was- of having an agent that knows what's going on, they could even save you a trip possibly. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, a good real estate agent isn't going to, force you into buying something just for the money. I mean, they're, they're definitely, they're in it for you. And, 
And don't get me wrong. There's ones out there that all they care about a paycheck, but there's, there's also good ones that want you to get what your dream is, you know? And mm -hmm. I just finished up this farm here. No, about a week, two weeks ago. And, uh, it's kind of funny. Kind of wanted, he wanted some solding done, you know, he wanted to make improvements, wanted a road here, culvert here, things like that. So I just jumped on on X, you know, and I was like, I'm going to check this farm out before I ever even meet up with this guy and kind of see what he's got, you know, it's 200 acre farm. And I literally, I took an hour and I just drew, I want a road here. I want a culvert here. I want the bedding area to be back here. I want this food plot, here, you know, and I just kind of drew it out. Like if, it, if this is my farm, this is what I'd want to do, you know? And I went there and uh, I showed him this map and I was like, here's what I'm interested in. He's like, dude, he's like, here's the map I'm interested in. And it was literally almost minus like one road was literally the same exact map, you know? So it's like, this is gonna, This is the guy I want to work with. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, you're not fighting against him to to do what you like. You guys are on the same vision, which is probably yeah. a really rewarding project. Yeah, and I mean he's he's a real hard working guy. He was down there every weekend. Didn't really, you know, he trusted what we were doing. Didn't really bother us too much. You know, he just kind of did his thing, and we did ours. And you know, right along the way, it, it turned out to be an amazing project. So I I look forward to this fall when he sent me a big old picture of Buck sitting in the back of the truck. So oh yeah. Yeah. And it's just good to ha have someone like yourself's perspective, like a landowner or someone that has, you just get it. Like you've, you've gone through and like buying your own farm at 21 and then like learning the ropes, the hard knocks of like how to position your food and everything else. This goes a long ways because as soon as you, I mean, I'm like, it's all great in theory, but every farm has its nuances and every farm's just a little bit different and you just can't take that cookie cutter box and put it in the next like the next farm because it's not going to work to the full level of effectiveness you can't man and i <clears throat> back to that farm i had in pike you know there was there were, i'd made just about every improvement i thought i could make you know and i was like but my biggest thing was is all my food plots were right on the fence you know so it was like all the neighbors could hunt and all the you know and everything well the neighbor to the north i mean rightfully so it was his ground whatever but he had guys that came down from arkansas and they would hunt right in the heart of the rut well, they'd hunt on that north fence, and obviously, what do you, what winds are you getting in November? You know, obviously, it's blowing right across my plot. You know, so granted, yeah, he might be seeing deer, but the half that side's blown by the time you know. So, long story short, I was like, you know what, I want to move this plot to the center, and that that was actually uh, tillable acres at the time. You know, I cash rented it out, and it's three acres there. And uh, I said, I want this here, but I have no way to access it. You know, and I said, how am I going to get into the point where my access was actually from? kind of south southwest and uh, i said how am i going to be able to get into this plot without blowing every deer in the county out and get out is the thing it's not just getting in it's getting out as well so long story short the neighbor to my west actually had a fence row that he butted tillable acreage to my tillable acreage and um, he said what well, i don't know how you feel about it but what do you what do you think about just taking that fence out he said we're just maintaining it every year we're trying to get all these trees out you know and at that point in time he'd grown up in cedars you know and they were uh, 12, 15 foot tall cedars, you know? And I was like, you know what? I was like, that fence isn't doing me any good. I was like, I, I know. Yeah. I trust you. You know, I was like, I'm not worried about, you know, the farmer farms both sides, you know? So I was like, I'm not really worried about that. So we got to think about, it. he's like, well, he's like, you take care of the trees. I'll take care of the fence. I was like, all right. You know, and I got thinking about it. I'll just cut the cedar down and whatever else, you know? Well, long story short, I decided I wanted the cedars. <laughs> I didn't want to get rid of them, you know? So so I called him and I was like, Hey, is there anybody in the local area who's got a tree spade? And he's like, <laughs> at me. And I was like, well, what's so funny? You know, he's like, I've got a tree spade. He's like, he's like, it's a pull behind tree spade. He said it runs on its own motor. 
He said, uh, it's nothing fancy. He's like, you're probably going to have to replace some hydraulic lines and things like that. He said, but if you want to use it, go, go use it. You know, he's like, I don't care. So I go over there and I pull this thing out and he's right. You know, it didn't, didn't have hardly any oil in it and needed hydraulic lines and needed everything else, you know, but, but we got her up and running. And, uh, I took, I think we took, I can't remember it was 12 or 13 cedars that are 12 foot tall. And I planted them in a straight line, right in the line with that redneck line. I blocked off that whole lower plot. So you were kind of up on the peak of the hill and everything else was down below you. And that plot, I kid you not, I could climb in the back of that redneck blind and look out the front windows and still have deer in the plot. I mean, it just remarkable. You know, it changed the whole farm strictly by, you know, not only did I have a bigger food plot at that point, but I had a more accessible food plot. I didn't have to walk from the south side all the way to the north side. I was pretty much center property, take tillable all the way to it. All the deer were down in the creek bottoms. They fed up into you, you know, and it was just it changed the whole farm, you know, mm-hmm. it costed you, even if you rented one, you know, it would have costed you $1,500, or $2,000, you know, something like that. And you could have changed your whole farm, you know? So like, those are the things you got to kind of think outside the box. And another one too, you know, we had a watering hole. There was a spring that was nothing but, uh, you know, foot wide, you know, but it flowed water all year round, you know, and it went down and met into a main Creek and I owned, all the way to the main creek, you know. So I was like, well, you know what? I want a watering hole. I'm gonna put this here, you know. So I took at that point in time, all I have is a little 40 horse John Deere tractor, and I took the loader and I blocked it off. And then I just started digging, you know, and I started digging and digging and digging. I blocked it. And then I removed all the dirt that I had, you know, been holding the water back with and it filled that water hole. And it worked. I mean, it, it blew the dam out a few times, but it, it wasn't done right. It was just like I said, it was just a watering hole, it was foot and a half, two foot deep, you know, it wasn't anything impressive, but but I never hunted that area that much. So I didn't know exactly how much they used it. Obviously you see deer tracks and things like that, but I didn't know how much they used it. And there's this deer, he's actually sitting on the table behind me right now, but there's this deer that uh, I hunted. And from what I knew, he was going on eight years old at that point in time. And I'd hunted him for three years. He actually, my wife had actually wounded him two years prior with a gun, but uh, long story short, I hunted him hard, real hard and uh, great deer ended up finding him that following january in that watering hole he got injured by the neighbor got shot and he ran right to that watering hole and died in that spring and i thought to myself like how can uh, an improvement that small make that big of a difference you know it's like there's water all around but he for whatever reason that's where he wanted to be you know and he you died needed a, you needed a camera on that thing he probably been drinking oh, out of that up forever <laughs> it was cool man it was just like it's little things like that that it's like you know most people that you go out throughout a trail camera, you clear a trail, you put an eight acre food plot in, whatever the case might be, but you miss a lot of the things that you could have done, you know, just, just strictly using your, you know, using your imagination. So. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Cause I mean, to your uh, initial point of just the chainsaw, of just slightly encouraging a specific deer movement, the tree spade, I think screens are greatly underused in my opinion on all, almost every farm ever. And so I, and for your example of with the trees, uh, using the tree spade, like you said, it changed your farm almost instantly after you did that. Obviously, you the food too, though. Yep, yep, it did. And I also, you know, I had a, the way that farm laid out, you know, it the deer pattern changed from early season, you know, August, September, when you're getting your, all your, you know, velvet pictures. It changed from that point until hunting season. So it was like all the deer that you thought you had pattern, <laughs> as soon as it started to turn, the game changed, you know, and it was like, okay. But I always wanted an inventory of what was there. Obviously, if you're getting summer pictures of them, full velvet, they're close. You know, whether they're on you or not, they're close, you know. So I took that north side, even though I had zero intentions of hunting it, 
and I blazed a trail and I maintained it with a mower. You know, I blazed a trail all the way down that fence line and ran a cell cam there. And that's, I never went back there. I never did anything, but 90% of my buck pictures came off of that trail. And I never hunted it strictly because A, the, the deer pattern changed, but B, it's all the way on the north side and I kicked everything and <laughs> everything in the county out on the way up there, you know? So that's kind of, it kind of brings me to another point, you know, when, when everybody's looking for a farm, they're all looking for an 80 or a hundred or 150 or whatever. That, but if you sit down and you think about it, how much of that 80 or hundred are you actually hunting? Everybody has that 10 acre honey hole. So if you can find a 10 acre honey hole in a 30 acre track, you know, obviously it's going to, it's going to save you a lot of money to just do that, you know, because the best farm I've ever hunted, it was an 80 acre farm. And uh, most, if not all, probably 90% of the hunting was done on the upper 10 acres, 80 acre farm, 90% of the hunting was on the upper 10 north side. And uh, it was just leading to it. It was, it was timber, but the deer didn't use it as much. It was kind of wasteland, you know, and one side the, they had a ridge that went straight north, south. So and you were walking parallel with it. So any deer on that ridge would see you coming in, you know, so it was just a complete bust, you know, and you'd never think you'd see deer, but then he planted nearly 20 acres in the very back of just solid food. You know, it was just solid food and the best late season honey I've ever had, but you can make that 10, 20 acres, you know, whatever you can afford, you know, you can make that better than any hundred or 150 or whatever, all these, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to build, you can afford a million dollar farm, you know, but. that's, that's a wonderful point. Cause I think, um, I think some people get caught up on just saying how much acreage they own versus, oh, yeah. versus Definitely. the, the like, okay, would you rather have a 10 acre farm where you can smoke a 150 every single year, or would you rather have a hundred acres where you you're fighting, you're scrapping to shoot a 130. I mean, I thing is too, you know, you get into those big farms, the 100, 200 acre farms, and you catch yourself bouncing around too much. You know, you get to the point where it's like, I'm not seeing deer here, so I'm going to bounce over here. And the next thing you know, <laughs> the, or, you know, where if you restrict that down and say, I'm going to make, we'll just use 40 acres, for example, I'm going to make this 40 acres the best 40 acres I can possibly yeah. make, and then make the deer do what I want them to do, you know, and, and that's kind of what I got to with Pike. It wasn't me getting to the deer it was getting the deer to me you know it wasn't i didn't use any tactics to say i'm going to sneak in here at three o'clock in the morning and try to catch this deer on his way to bed i just i hunted the deer i let the deer do their natural thing i didn't try to change their pattern i just made it the best pattern it could be you know i tried to make it to where you know like late season if i had you know a good late season deer obviously you, you see different deer different times of year so if i had a good late season deer i'd, I'd grow more beans if i had you know, an early season deer, well, I might grow, whether it be radishes or turnips or whatever, where they eat the tops off of them, you know, things like that. So, I mean, just making it the best it can possibly be, it doesn't matter the amount of acreage, it's just improving the amount of acreage that you've got, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I meant when we started this conversation. And I said, I'm looking for the right 40, that that's the right 40. I want it to have that right 10 acres sitting in there that I can count on killing 150 inch deer on every year, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And those places are hard to find too. I mean, it's easy to, they're, they're hard to find. I, I can think of a couple of farms that I hunt that I have hunted that are smaller or like a big farm that really boils down into one spot. And it is funny how that typically works, but then to your same point to take a 40 and, and fully maximize it will probably reach more, uh, I guess, potential than even like a 90 or a hundred that's haphazardly kind of pieced together. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, that's just, just use your imagination. And I mean, there's back when I started this, you know, I wasn't big into social media. I wasn't big into YouTube. I wasn't big in it. So 
I learned it the hard way. You know, most of it was done on public land, I hunted public land, almost a hundred percent up to the point that I bought the farm. And, uh, I learned a lot of things the hard way, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? but then when I bought the farm, well, then I almost had to learn, like, now I'm not hunting the deer. I want to bring the deer to me. You know, I, I've got the opportunity to plant food and bring water and all these things, you know? And, uh, and that's kind of, I guess what made that farm what it was. So when you use that tree spade, how many did all those trees live? No, I, I, I think we did 12 or 13 of them. And I think we lost, I want to say four. That's still not bad. No, I mean, and the thing was there were 12, 15 big, foot trees. Say, those are big trees to transplant. You know? And the thing that made it nice was since you were out in the tillable like that and they had plenty of sunlight, the vines and the weeds and all the stuff grew up around them. So even if the trees weren't there, still a solid wall of you know the structure was still there the tree so it grew up in vines and it just looked like a solid you know hedgerow of you know you couldn't see anything we'll just say that <laughs> yeah that i was honestly i was looking at running a, a tree spade earlier this year i was i was, go, I was scoping out some cedars at another farm i was like man i could definitely use those somewhere else man, uh, no it worked for it worked good for us we only had to move them a couple hundred yards you know and and uh, my dad and i went down there and just you know, not only enjoyed it, but it, the impact it made was like, why didn't I do this year one? <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. and that do is you don't, you don't have to use a tree spade, man. As as fast as cedars grow, I mean, you go buy them for peace, you know, and just plant them in the ground. In five years, things are going to be, you know, not as tall as you, but almost, you know, I mean, they're going to be chest tall. And then, you know, most people are going to own a farm for, we'll just say 10 years at least, you know, so you're going to see the benefit from it, you know, and it's not like, you're trying to get timber value out of it. You're doing it for a purpose, you know? So I, mm -hmm. I, I would never shy away from planting trees, whether, you know, it's an immediate response or not, you know, it, it's going to benefit you. Yes. One of the best videos I watched, you know, kind of got me into improving land. It was a mossy oak video, but uh, they took a farm that was a hundred percent Blake slate, you know, it just had a little bit of tillable on it, kind of swamp ground and areas. And they took and they planted persimmon trees where they wanted, they planted oak trees where they wanted they had this video like 20 or 25 years later and it showed this farm and it was like, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I want to leave that to my kid. That's not, you want the perfect farm. That's how you do it. You make the perfect farm, you know, and that's kind of what he did. And, uh, I, I still to this day think at some point in my life, I'm going to do that exact same thing. Maybe not to the whole farm, but at least the part of it where I'm going to plant apple trees where I want and persimmon trees where I want and make it, you know, the best it can be. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to do at my house here a little bit. I mean, I planted probably 300 shrubs this year got some uh annual screens in this year and it's like uh, i was just out there yesterday checking on my beans and i was like man you like it's just fun because like you're slowly starting to you know like piece the things together and uh last night uh after dinner i looked out my window and i had a bunch of planted a bunch of gray dogwood there's a fawn just outside my house chomping on <laughs> i didn't tune no. the ones by my house they're just chomping on it enjoying the the browse and it's like man it is super rewarding the biggest thing is i mean and you'll see it obviously you're not you're not new to this game but i mean those deer are going to turn into your pets is what they're going to do <laughs> I, i've seen it from bike you know everybody would tell me how do you go down there and watch 25 or 30 deer and, and you don't care about killing one it's like man i know when i see that doe she's coming out with two fawns i know when i see that buck there's another buck that's coming shortly after you know and it's like plus it's you know truly a deer that i i want to kill you know it, it's you know it's more of a hobby than anything you know it's not about to kill anymore once you get to that point you kind of start just enjoying it you know yeah that's a, a good way to 
good way to say it for sure. But I, that's, it is so rewarding and so much fun to, I don't know how many, I would be almost embarrassed to admit how much time I've spent drawing on drone pictures of, of the farms or on onyx i would just i would be embarrassed to say but it's just like constantly like well what if you did this way you did this instead and the thing is no matter how long you look at it you end up usually going back to what you originally thought anyways and it's like do you see that too when you're looking at a farm like you, you kind of just go back to what your intuition said from the start it does i mean you the aerial view like you said tells you a lot you know and then the only thing that changes my mind is like i said earlier i don't usually try to alter the deer's patterns as much as improve the deer's patterns, you know? So like if they have a way they want to come in, I try to set it up to make that the best way for them to come in, you know, whether it be, you know, we talked about before putting like timber walls along the side of the plot so they can't come down the South side or whether it be, uh, you know, moving my blind to be 40 yards farther this way or whatever the case might be. Like I'm not looking to take that path that they want to follow and move it over 40 yards i want to make the best access be that that trail that they're using you know so whatever i can do to block off the rest of the deer or even sometimes you'll have to shrink your food plot you know nobody wants to do that sometimes you have to because yeah it's nice that the deer are out there but if they're sitting out there at 150 yards what good are they doing you you know so it's like a big food plot's nice if you can hunt it you know but there is such thing as you know keep they call them kill plots for a reason you know and that's that's kind of and into the acre, an acre and a half, things like that, you know, where you can control a lot more of the deer that way. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with that. And also too, like when you shrink those pots, maybe use part of it for screening if you have to, to constrict that in. But it is, it is also fun to, it's like the, the amount of acres you own. It's also like the amount of food you have too. Like it's Absolutely. not as fun to say you have a half acre food on your farm, but it's a lot more fun when you say, I got 12 acres of food, like, holy cow, this guy's serious. But in reality, it, it could be a law of diminishing returns at that point. It can. I mean, it, it gets to the point where you might have a lot of deer out there, but unless you're gun hunting, it's really not, it's not doing any good. You're probably doing more harm than good at that point because there's, you know, that you got the destination food plot. Well, if you don't have a way to leave it after yeah. dark, you're doing more harm than good, you know, and that's kind of where, you know. Give them a free meal ticket every night at the middle of the night. But if you have 15 acres of food and can't hunt it, you know, that, that makes a whole different ball game. So, well, I got nine acres of beans behind my house that I, I cannot hunt effectively. So <laughs> I, I'm just doing that to prepare for next year for what I plan on doing, get rid of all the weeds and, and get something going back there. But in reality, like when I planted them, I'm just like, unless we get a cold muzzleloader season, that's, that's pretty much like, there's no way I can effectively bow hunt this, sure. but, it's, but it's still going to be fun. You best believe I'm going to have observation stand. You know, that food plots like that can be, you know, they're necessary whether you hunt them or not. You know, if, if there's a shortage of food, obviously living in central Illinois, the first comment you always get is I'm surrounded by 500 acres of corn and 500 acres of beans. Well, if, as efficient as the combines anymore, there's not a whole lot left on the ground, you know? So once they're done harvesting, they might have a month left out there, but when it gets cold and you start seeing snow cover, that five acre food plot, whether you're going to hunt it or not, you can still hunt all the travel paths going to it and all the, you know, shortcutting them and things like that. So even though you may not be sitting over the top of it, it's still benefiting you, you know, and sometimes it's benefiting you in a, a better way than if you were sitting on it, you know, because for me, if I could walk 200 yards, you know, in and not kick a single deer out and still kill the same deer going to that plot, I'm better off than I am going in there and kicking out 30 deer when I leave it, you know, so it's kind of, yeah. That's, that's a good point for sure. I totally agree with that. And to it is like right now there's where it's July 28th. There is a gazillion pounds of food everywhere right now, but come January, 
like those deer are getting pretty creative for February. Even they're getting pretty creative with, with what they're eating, depending on how hard the winter is. Yep. Yep. I agree. But the biggest thing is, you know, back to the thing, just, just think of those the improvements you can make, you know, that anything's possible. Don't, you know, don't look at a farm and be like, well, I wish there's no tillable acreage. There's no pond. There's no trail access. There's no, you know, cause all that stuff, I kid you not is literally a weekend away from happening. You know, it's, it's literally for what you spend on that farm is it's nothing. Cheap, it's a cheap improvement for what you get in terms of how much, let's say your 40 really only feels like a hunts like 15 or 20 because it, there's 10 acres of honeysuckle that's thicker than snot. I mean, yeah. it's like, getting, it's like a, it's like a hard, it's, it's a remo it's a extreme makeover in a weekend for a house. Like it's a remodel almost yeah. instantaneous. And then now it's like, okay, here's your new basis to improve it. Um, well, then, if, you know, say you're going to sell the farm, you know, even then, you know, it, even though the bank's not probably going to look at it like, Hey, you have a road going through it. It's worth more money for the guy that's walking it. He's thinking the same thing you're thinking. If he can't get to that back 40 or whatever the case might be, it's useless to him, you know? So if you turn around, you make a trail system through it, you put a cord in, whatever it might be, make it to where he can get a side by side or whatever back there. You just change the value of that property tremendously in his mind, you know, whether the bank mind or not. I mean, it, it's, it's not waste ground anymore. You know, he can, he can look at the Oaks back there and see the value and see that, you know, the Creek bottoms or whatever it might be, you know, that, that he wouldn't have seen if he would have just shut it off at the field edge, you know, I couldn't agree more with that because even when I'm, showing a farm that's a little bit more raw with no road system versus showing one with the road system. It's such a huge difference for just the level of enjoyment that the, you know, prospective buyer has versus this bushwhacking through a 40. I mean, another thing is too, I mean, back to the deer conversation is a deer's just like you and I, I mean, a deer's going to take the easiest path it can possibly take, you know, it doesn't want to walk through all that stuff. So when you make that road system through there nine times out of 10, I'm just going to say 10 times out of 10, <laughs> going to see that thing full of scrapes and rubs going down the edge of that come November, you know? And I mean, every single time I put a road system in every landowner, I tell that will send me pictures come November and say, dude, you're right. You know? And it's like, I, I would have never imagined, you know? And it's like, dude, why would you want to, especially if you've got a big old set of antlers on top of your head, you know, you want to go through there and tangle them up and all that, you know, heck no, they're going to take the easiest path they can. They're going to cover as much ground as they can to go try to find the does they want, you know? And, and that trail system then, again, benefits you in that aspect. So mm -hmm. when you're going on some of these farms, so someone's calling you, they're like, you know, they just want you to, to come in and basically improve it in general. Uh, a lot of it is, it seems like a lot of the work with the skids here. What, what do you think most landowners are doing wrong right now? Uh, <laughs> I mean, the best answer, the wrong thing to do is nothing at all. I mean, that that's kind of, you know, the grand scheme of things, obviously there's improvements on every farm that can be made, but, I would say what most people are doing wrong is they're trying to, they're trying to make every acre of their farm huntable when it's not always possible. You know, it's You'll like, this. yeah, I mean, you're trying to, you're trying to take a farm that's 80 or hundred acres or whatever. And the Northwest corner, I don't get to because like, I don't have access and all this. So I want to make a road over there. Truth be told, it'd probably be better if you improve that to be bedding area or whatever the case might be and then pull the deer out of that to you than it would for you to drive right to it. You know, so that, that's kind of my opinion. Everybody wants to hunt every acre of every farm. And sometimes you have to, again, use the pattern that the deer want to use, you know, and then just do what you can to improve that, you know? And yeah. Cause you're to your point there, it's 
like, okay, so if you cannot use that for effective hunting, access, everything else, we'll make a thick bedding for them and to stay out of it. Like you're not giving yep. up that acre still. You're still no. maximizing it. You don't have a tree stand in it, but it's still benefiting you just like that, that destination food plot we talked about. You know, you're still getting in and out and you're still dragging them to, you know, to your food plot and holding them and, you know, keeping them safe from the neighbors and, you know, whatever else. So, I mean, it's still benefiting you. It's just not, you're not sitting in a tree stand looking over the top of it, you know? Yeah. So that's, but that, that's really good advice. Probably the, the worst, you know, the worst thing you can do is just that Northwest corner may, you know, you may not be able to hunt it that well, but there's still improvements that can be made, you know, even whether it be, if you went in there and did a timber sand improvement or, you know, if it had enough sunlight, you did native grasses around the edges or, you know, buzz the path through it just for deer to use you know just a just a strict path for deer only things like that you know that you can make improvements but don't try to don't try to get to the point where you can hunt everything because it's never going to happen there isn't a single farm out there that you can hunt every single acre of without you know ruining your future hunts yeah well and it's funny too the area that is useless i feel like most times people go and scout that spot at the end of the season and they're like, Oh, it was tore up in there. Oh, there's beds everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cause yeah. you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. You're hundred percent right. And I mean, nine times out of 10, you'll see that, you know, like you go out shed hunting the next spring and that they'll have it just every tree stripped of the bark, you know? And it's like, man, I should have been right here. And the next year you get in there and you don't see any deer. And it's like, well, that's because of those, those deer are gone now, <laughs> you know, you, you ruined it all. So, but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is just, let them do their thing and, and improve everything around it, you know, make it to the point where, you know, not only let them take the path they want to take, but, you know, give them a reason to take it. Should I say? Yeah. I put a water hole on the, the one, the hilly farm that you walked with me. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I put it a little off the beaten path of what I, of more than I wanted to. And it was a variety of reasons. Cause I've created, I, I cut a new trail in for access on the Northwest side versus the road that's there now. And, and put that kind of, cause this past year they, they bedded on that knob typically does, but the road system coming in, it was this, that you can't access the farm properly that way. So cutting a new trail for now, we talked about potentially putting in a road, that same trail basically. And I know I'm talking very cryptically for anyone listening that is not following what I'm saying, but I'm just curious. So I put that, I put a 300 gallon water hole in. And I'm a little concerned it's a little far off the beaten path right now to what the deer movement is. My thought process is if that is the case this spring or like this March, February, I'm going to continue to try to cut more trails and encourage the movement to go that way. We'll see. Do you have any words of advice on that? My recommendation for you there is if it's off their beaten path and they're not naturally taking it right now, mow a path right next to it. Like take, take the path that they're using right now and mow a path that goes right past that watering hole and whether it connects to another road or a creek or whatever it might be, you know, make, they're, they're kind of, I compare them to like a cat. They're curious, you know, I mean, they're going to, you do anything new there, they're going to walk down it. So then if they walk down it and you put that watering hole, they find it once, they're going to find it every day, you know? So it's just, obviously they're not going to smell the water, you know, they're not going to, you know, so it's kind of just give them a reason to get over there. And, and once they do, you won't have a problem keeping them. But, but my opinion in the future, I guess, just, just do your best to keep it on their natural patterns. You know, I think the natural, the natural pattern for what they wanted to do is too dangerous for them. They didn't know, they didn't know it was good for them. I needed to pull them over a little bit more. Yep. Yep. I know what you mean, but, but I do, I not, maybe this isn't the place to ask it, but on that same farm you're talking about, you've got a Creek. Do you think they're going to use that watering hole more than the Creek? 
No, because that that creek dries up really fast, so that's really only running during rain events. Um, and it's, so, yeah. So in reality, I think it's gonna be. I think it could be dangerous once that pattern gets established. I had I put up when, whenever I posted, it was like let's say last. It wasn't last weekend, maybe the weekend before that. No, it was this weekend. Yes, it was this weekend. And I yet yeah, last night was the first time I even had a deer on camera, and they she didn't drink out of it. She just looked at it, like what you said, curious. Like look, walked all the way around it, looked at it, and uh, didn't drink out of it. But I just my gut feeling is that there's gonna be some big deer drinking out of that here before long, and it's it's just a, a product of the, the the terrain there. I mean, so, we'll so what? And I guess as far as keeping the water from going stagnant, I mean, are you, you I'm change just, it? Or flow it, or do you just hope they drink it fast enough that you know? No, so uh, I from what I've seen, they they'll still drink the stagnant water, and so I because I had the same thought. I was like, why would they want to drink that like nasty water? But they will, and so yeah. that's that that'll take care of that. It's on a slope, so it will get some fresh water uh, with direct rainfall and also runoff. And then it, I did not have it perfectly level on purpose, so it does if there is an overflow that it'll drain out a little bit. But I still think that they'll they'll I think they're going to drink a lot of it. We'll see, and then hung a stand while I was there that weekend. So I, I feel really good about it, but we'll see. It's like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a hundred percent, but it's probably, you know, by next year, by to try to improve what I'm trying to ha have happen. I think it'll, I think it'll work, but I don't know if it'll be this year. We'll see. Forward to seeing it for sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll see, man. It's a, it's a learning process. Like you said, it's a trial and error and, and figure it out. And that's, that's what makes it fun. If it was easy, yeah. it wouldn't be as fun. Yeah, definitely. And again, like you said, use your imagination, make it the best you can make it. If it doesn't work, you take it out next year and you try something different. You know, I mean, that's pretty much that's, it. Didn't cost you a lot of money to try it. So if it works, it's worth a million bucks. If it didn't, well, you're out a hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yep. Drain it, drain it and try again. That's literally yeah. all it is. So yeah. no, we'll see. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, anything else here? I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I, no. I, mean, I, I think you hit some really important things. You guys feel free to reach out to me anytime. You know, I'd be happy to talk with you, whether I'm the one making the improvements on your farm or not. You know, I, I enjoy this stuff. I live it every day. So uh, feel free to give me a call. My number is 309-258-2403. And again, you know, just as you're walking farms with Jake or whoever, you know, don't don't look for that perfect farm. Just start, just try to think outside the box and think about how you could improve it to make it that perfect farm, you know. And most of the time you buy it, you, you're not going to try to make it in a year's time anyways. You know, you're going to own that farm for 5, 10, 15 years, you know, so just if you have to, you know, you, you save up a little bit, whether it be a thousand here and a thousand there, whatever it might be and, and make that farm to where it is the perfect farm. So every farm's improvable. It's just whether it can meet your needs or not. So mm -hmm. one last thing, Pike County, 2011, overrated or underrated? So, yeah. Yeah. So when I bought that farm, it was at the tail end of it being good in my opinion. And, and that's kind of, I'm not saying it's not good. I mean, I will say, Pike County is still good and I'm going to tick off a lot of guys that still own ground there, but I think most of the guys that own ground there in the early two thousands are going to agree with me that there isn't the same age structure in Pike County that there was back in the early two thousands. So is there still good deer? Absolutely. But I think there's some sleeper counties. We'll just say North of there in central Illinois area that Down, you know, Cairo, yeah. Illinois is really good. Exactly. There's there's good areas around that you don't have to be in Pike County. I mean, it, it's good, but if I'm going after age structure, there's counties that I'd pick over that. Yeah, I I have not hunted in Pike County. I have drove through it. I just think it's uh, probably the over commercialization of hunting that it, just kind of exploited I, it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is it's more out of state hunters, I think, than it is locals. You know, I mean, you get a lot of guys that just they have to have Pike County because it was the greatest thing in the state, you know. And and like I said, it's still good. I'm not here to take anybody off, but it's just, you know, there's counties around that I would pick over that if I was picking the ideal farm for me anyways. Yeah, that's no different to anyone trying to hunt out of state. Usually, you know, if you Google or look at whatever the hot spot is, usually somewhere outside of it is sure. probably a little bit better. So same thought yeah. process. And Absolutely. I'm curious not to not to keep you. I'm still thinking. I, I'm curious right now. So obviously, I would say what Pike County was then, I would say South Central Iowa is now. And I'm curious, what is what happens? Like, obviously, Iowa has their their tag structure. And that's why it's so special the way it is, how it's set up. But I wonder if those days are like fading or if we're at the peak of that. And then my next question is, where's the next place? I don't know. I think the biggest thing there is, you know, in Iowa, they, they manage it completely different. And I think the right way, you don't get as many staters there, you know? So, I mean, you're not, I don't think you're going to see that abundance. I, I see Iowa being good for a while in my opinion, but I'm also not going to wait five years to kill a deer. If I got to hunt, you know, five years straight to kill one here, then I'd rather be doing that than waiting on a tag for five years. You know what I mean? That's so, for sure. Fly for Iowa. I'm just saying that I'm not going to depend on Iowa to put a wall hanger on the wall, you know? Yeah, I get that. I, uh, yep. I'm, this will be my fifth year. So I'll be waiting to see if we call next year. So yeah. I mean, to me, it's almost like a bonus tag. Uh, it's like Illinois. I mean, it's another hunt. Yeah. It's another hunt and, uh, probably a more, you know, better age class and everything else than what's here, which I'm not complaining at all. I feel really fortunate to hunt where I do, but, um, uh, but yeah, I was just curious because uh, someone's probably listening like, well, man, he bought a farm in Pike County. That'd be incredible. So <laughs> yeah. you'll have that. I'm not going to lie, but anywhere you go, central Western Illinois is, I mean, even spots it's, Eastern and it's all good. You know I mean? It's just, it's like I said, finding the right farm is, is everything, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be 200 acres. It's finding the farm that's, whether it be in a pinch point or whether it be, you know, next to a nature preserve or whatever the case might be, you know, there's, there, there's a reason those deer are there and just find that farm and make it the best it can be. And you'll have Southern Iowa in your, in your fingertips, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds great, Alex. Hopefully I'd encourage everyone to, to get, definitely give you a call, especially if, uh, if they're in your neck of the woods as well. Cause I think uh, at least conversation is definitely worth it. Cause like I said, I, I bounce ideas off you all the time. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I enjoy working with you, man. Definitely. Yeah. We got it. We'll have more projects here before long and uh, uh, a, a mutual client of ours will have some more projects here hopefully soon and that'll be good. Absolutely. Well, it was good talking with you, Jake. Again, uh, I appreciate you putting the show on. I mean, it's taught me a lot. I thought I knew quite a bit, but I mean, I've learned more in the last few months than, than I thought I'd ever know, you know? So I, I thank you for that and all the guys that are on this show. You're doing a great job. So I really appreciate it. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun. So until next time, good luck this season. I'm sure we'll be talking here again soon. Hey, you too, buddy. There you guys have it. I want to say thank you to Alex for taking the time to have a conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I'm excited to see what he's up to in the near future. But beyond that, we have Velvet Fest. It's rocking and rolling. Get a guaranteed winning prize card with every single order on our website for arrows and cameras. And if you were not one of the lucky winners for the MMT arrows, we are still have three up for grabs. So be sure to leave a written review if you want to get your name in the hat. And I think that's it for now. I hope you guys have a great week. Until next time, see you guys.